You're listening to All the King's Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. The LA Kings offseason has officially begun. The Kings have bought out the contract of defenseman Dion Phaneuf. Jack Jablonski joined me in the immediate aftermath to share his thoughts on the move and what it means for the Kings roster moving forward. We talked about it for about 20 minutes, then got into a lengthy conversation about the Cup Final, the St. Louis Blues, and what it means for the league to have a champion that plays the style of those Blues. Uh, We are going to do a live podcast next Saturday during the later rounds of the draft. We'll be watching the second and third rounds Saturday morning starting at 10 a.m. Then we plan on going live around 11 a.m. or the end of the third round. Uh, We'll have some audio from Vancouver, some guests from the Kings. Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to some of the players drafted. And of course, we'll be taking your calls about the Kings, the draft, your expectations for next season, etc. Then in the next few weeks, uh, we'll be kicking off our book club series. Uh, The first book we'll be discussing is The Game by Ken Dryden. So if you'd like, you can read the book, send in your comments and questions for us. We'll be taping that episode in the second week of July. Um, Both of these obviously will be episodes of the podcast. So if you can't hear the live episode, it will be available uh, if you're subscribed. Again, subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. Okay, now let's get you to what you came for. Joining me now all the way from Minnesota, Jack Jablonski. How are you doing today, Jack? I'm good, Jesse. How about yourself? I'm good. So you and I had talked about recording, and I said, ah, let's put it off one day because I have a sneaking suspicion Dion Phaneuf's going to get bought out. It happened a lot earlier in the day than I thought it would, but the Kings have officially bought out Dion Phaneuf. Uh, I talked to my dad, sorry, <clears throat> my dad about it uh, last week, but uh, what are your thoughts uh, in the immediate aftermath of this news? Well, I think in the immediate aftermath, in terms of what it means for the future, is that the Kings are in the process of going younger, and they're in the process of uh, turning this roster into something that is going to be a little bit more towards what the NHL is moving to. And that's going to be a little bit faster, a little bit more skilled. And um, the first move in terms of what the Kings need to do was apparently buying out Dion Phaneuf. And I think it's the right move because... Um, ultimately the, you know, with this rebuild that the Kings look to be going into, uh, Dion Phaneuf uh, with his salary and what he brought to the team, uh, wasn't a part of that. Yeah. I, I was on record as saying that I, I wouldn't have done it. Oops, dropped my phone. I wouldn't have done it personally just because I, I don't know about the financial side of it now. Admittedly, when I had that opinion, I wasn't taking into account that Ottawa picks up 25% of the salary. So mm-hmm. next season, he's only like a four, uh, a four plus cap hit, not the five that I was thinking. Um, so that's not as bad. It's four, just, just over $4 million, 4.062. Um, so I mean, in a, in a perfect world, I would prefer that the larger cap hit come in the first season so that your, you know, your buyout uh, penalty is sort of reduced over time as it is they the cap hit this coming season will only be 2.187 and then next this following season it'll be 4.062 so they find now hopefully it won't matter they won't be pressed up against the cap if if they're not pressed up against the cap it's somebody else's money so it doesn't make any difference to me um it's just a lot can happen in two years three years four years so you never know and and i would just i prefer not to have to worry about that having said that 
um, I do think there's tremendous benefit in not having to ever think about it again. <laughs> right. It's, <laughs> it's done. It's over. You know, he served his time and, and now he's no longer a member of the organization. And so you don't have to worry about, well, do you healthy scratch him? Can he rebound? Are they going to figure out a trade? You know, what does it do to the locker room morale? All that stuff. And that's not to imply that he would, you know, be a poison in the locker room. It's just it, you know, every game that he's a healthy scratch or plays only eight minutes is another game where the conversation continues. So I do think there's value in just ending the conversation and saying, you know, whoever mm -hmm. it is that's going to replace him, presumably Forbert and Martinez will be the top two left side defensemen next season. And so whatever you fill that spot with on the third pairing, whether it's one of the kids from Ontario, whether it's somebody they draft, whether they go out in free agency and sign, you know, a veteran bridge player to fill that spot, you know, who knows, Yeah, but, but it's, but it ends the conversation. And so for that, I'm happy. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point you bring up. And as you mentioned, and I think one thing that I really want to rebound off of what you said is uh, the eight minutes a game. And, you know, as the season went on, especially once, you know, the reality of where the Kings were going to be as the season moved, uh, towards the end, you know, they weren't in playoff contention and all of a sudden you're playing a guy who's in his 30s making five something million dollars. Uh, all of a sudden he's playing eight minutes a game and then he's getting scratched. And it, I think, you know, getting rid of that, uh, that area of concern or that area of just having to address it in terms of being in the locker room and, and being around that situation, having that, you know, off their hands and being able to you know, put someone who's 22 or 23 or a younger guy in that lineup who can use that, uh, that, you know, that ice time, you know, to, to get better, to grow, to become an NHL player or to work his way into being a valuable, you know, Kings defenseman and moving forward. I think that's extremely important. And for them to just move on from DNF, it's the right move in many areas, but, um, you know, the cap hit is an interesting one. I don't think we, you know, the Kings aren't going to be, in the Stanley cup contention, you know, in this year, so to speak, moving forward. So it's a time for them to kind of move on, fix up their, their lineup and fix up their roster, especially on the defensive end uh, that we have, you know, at least addressed a few times in the past few years. That uh, is something that needs to be looked at heavily in terms of getting back to uh, a complete roster and where, you know, Drew Doughty isn't asked to do everything. Yeah, and and I you know I, I concede I'm only looking at it from the financial um, standpoint. That was my only real hesitation. But I mean, I I honestly believe that this following season, and I, I suppose I believe this just because I feel like I have to. But I feel like they're going to have a much better season than they did last year. You know, we said all season long we didn't believe it was a question of physical ability. We didn't think it was a question of talent, or well, I said anyway, but I didn't think it was a question of talent <laughs> of talent or age. You know, we sidestepped. And sort of tiptoed around the notion of effort or, or, you know, compete level, whatever you want to call it. And then at the end of the season, the players themselves essentially came out and said, yeah, we dogged it all year. Practices were terrible. We didn't like the coach. You know, we were entitled, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I have to believe that most of the guys in that locker room, if not all of the guys in that locker room, just for the sake of, of preserving their own reputations, um, will have better seasons. And so when you look at the roster, you have guys like Ayafalo and Kempe who will definitely be back. 
um, Leipzig, I don't know what they're going to do. Brodzinski, I have no idea what they're going to do. Matt Roy, maybe they bring him back, maybe they don't. But you have to figure out the goalie situation. Like, there's all sorts of things that could happen next year where p- players could rebound. Where at the end of the following, you know, at the end of this coming season, if they make it back to the playoffs, and I think it's within the realm of possibility. You know, we saw the Pacific Division this year. I have no idea if Calgary is going to be as good as they were. I have no idea if Vancouver is going to find themselves. Frankly, I think Vegas is, as I said, just another dumb team who no idea what's going to happen with San Jose. If Carlson leaves, <laughs> if Donskoy leaves, if Thornton retires, like the, the Pacific division is a total question mark again. And if, if half the players rebound and have decent seasons, I think the Kings could find themselves in a playoff spot. Now you're looking at, do you bring back Tyler Toffoli? Do you let Clifford and Lewis go at the end of the year? You know, what do you do with Forbert, you know, and, and, you know, the again, the goalie situation, do you pay Campbell? Peterson needs to, so there's all sorts of things that can happen in a year or two years. Um, and, and I, and I don't bring all those up to, to be reasons not to have done this because even as I'm saying it out loud, I realize, you know, having a, a better player than Dion Phaneuf in the lineup will only help all of these causes. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it's going to be really fascinating what the actual impact of this move is. I do like the fact that Blake, this this in my mind continues the trend of him making, um, I don't want to say bold moves, but making moves and then when they don't work out, he corrects them. So whether it's bringing in Camilleri or uh, the other two guys, Tori Mitchell and... Um, and not Tori Mitchell, but Jokinen and uh, and the other player yeah. that was part of that, or you know, flipping Hagelin. Like he's he's quick to he's quick to make up his mind and move on it. And I wonder how much of this had to do with uh, McClellan and his desire for a specific kind of lineup. No, that's a great point. And you know, and just to go back on what you were saying earlier, in the sense of uh, you know the way the season panned out, and that's a great point in terms of I think there's plenty of veteran leadership. Uh, and it got out of hand this year in terms of with the coaching situation and uh, the start to the season and just the health of you know some of the players going into the season that cost it with, uh, for instance, Brown's situation and, and how that handicapped the team early on. Uh, there's a lot that went wrong this year, and it, it can't, you know, it can only get one spot worse, so to speak, you know, as the team finished 30 <laughs> out of 31. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, there's a lot of room for the team to improve, but you know, realistically, they are going to improve. And, uh, you know, team players had down years, uh, you know, after some highs of two years ago. And so there's a lot of things that went wrong that will go right this next year. And, and you know, the FNUF situation, you know, it's all going to be to be determined. And as you talked about how, you know, you look a year ahead and all of a sudden you've got decisions to make on some veterans and you've got some decisions to make on some players uh, with bridge contracts and so to speak. Uh, it will be interesting, but there's a lot that's going to go on between now and then. And, you know, to see where the FNUF money uh, that they kind of saved uh, goes, uh, it'll be interesting just because, you know, this team is in a process of, you know, quote unquote, rebuilding on the fly because they still have, you know, all stars on their roster and, you know, plenty of players that have won a Stanley Cup, if not multiple. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. But what I'm excited about is just to see that. You know, as you mentioned, Rob Blake is is making moves that um, may not have worked out in the past, but it's, you know, you take, you know, control of what you can and 
for Rob, he has, you know, the ability to, to fix mistakes or at least fix things that didn't work out. And, you know, the FNUF thing, it got rid of the Gabbert contract and it, you know, lightened up one year of, of financial responsibility of paying someone that probably didn't deserve the money that uh, he was producing at the time. So um, in that case, you know, you get one year less with FNUF and, and though he's been bought out, um, it will be interesting because I think that this roster, while it has many players that are going to be able to contribute moving forward, whether it's Anze Kopitar and, and Drew Doughty, but you've got players that are younger that uh, you're going to need to have produce. And it'll be interesting to see where that save money goes in free agency or in the trade market. The success that Boston had this year um, really, I think, should be paid attention to, particularly by Kings fans, because I see a lot of conversations about oh, they're wasting, you know, years on Dowdy and Kopitar, and by the time this hap, you know, by the time the contract's over, the Kings won't, you know, they'll be a totally different team. And blah 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 blah. You know, the 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 Penguins made it to the Cup final in back to back seasons in two thousand eight and two thousand nine. And then did it again in 2016, 2017, which was what, eight and nine years later. The Boston Bruins yep. won the Stanley Cup in 2011. Then they made another Stanley Cup final in 2013. And then they made it back, you know, in 2019. So, I mean, these things can be stretched out over 10 years. And I'm not saying that the Kings are, are run or have been having the same interim that the Bruins and Penguins did. Obviously, the Kings have had lower lows, but I would argue that there were some extenuating circumstances in two of those seasons. But, I mean, yeah. you know, Kopitar and Doughty are not are not done, right? Like, Doughty had a – like, everybody Correct. had a bad year. So, uh, you know, the, the, notion yeah. that's, the notion that somehow this should be viewed as the as the peak of a downward slope in their careers – there's no reason that Andre Kopitar and Drew Doughty, or if not both of them, one of them, um, couldn't couldn't be as productive into their late 30s. I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying you look at guys like Thornton, you look at guys like Chara, you look at the Sharks lineup, and it's and it's littered with guys older than Doughty and older than Kopitar in some cases, and nobody talks about those teams as being um, done or or over the hill. Um, so I will say that buying out enough does, um, it, it does open that roster spot and hopefully with McClellan now coming in and, you know, maybe they can make some moves over the next few months, maybe the draft, it does start giving this team, <clears throat> not that enough was around long enough to be part of the old identity, but it does give <laughs> yeah. them an opportunity to start, you know, laying the foundation of the new identity, whatever it is. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting you bring up. And the one thing that I do want to um, add on to or at least point out specifically is uh, when you look at, you know, the Boston Bruins this year and how they had success, you know, you had Marshawn who had 100 points. And, and just to put that in comparison, you know, Kopitar had an unbelievable year, uh, not this past year, but two years ago, he was, you know, second or third in, in the MVP voting and uh, so on and so forth when it gets to when you're talking about how, you know, these players, they've won Stanley Cups, you know, years back or they've been in the Stanley Cup a few years and all of a sudden they go away, but then they come back. And that's exactly what we've seen with, you know, a cup in 2012 and a cup in 2014. And then Kopitar has a great year two years ago and then has a down year. 
But the biggest thing is where, you know, you look at the Kings and you look at the Bruins is the depth. And that's the one thing that the Kings have lacked, uh, at least this past year, where you need guys on that second and third line that are going to throw up 30 goals or they're going to throw up 60 point, 70 point seasons. You know, while Kopitar may be getting all the, you know, the accolades or at least the attention, that's where, you know, things were different. You had guys on Boston like Achari or Grizzlick or, you know, Coyle on the third line after the trade deadline or Johansson where the Kings didn't have those type of players. And that's really what costed the team. And then you look at the, you know, the defense, you know, the Kings had, you know, let's just, you know, be honest, they had, you know, four to five NHL, you know, legitimate defensemen for the majority of the year with injuries or just having to call up and bring down a lot of guys in the AHL. Um, And I'm not to say that, you know, whoever was in the bottom half of the defensive lineup isn't an NHL player. It's just at the time they weren't ready or they're still developing, you know, the knowledge of what it takes to play X amount of minutes on an NHL game and to be effective. So uh, it's, you know, that's the biggest thing that the Kings need to sure up uh, over the offseason. And they need to get guys on the, the depth areas that, uh, are going to be able to take the pressure off of Kopitar having to score a goal and an assist every night. Yeah, so I mean, the the real question now moving forward is, <clears throat> do the Kings, you know, I've said I think Sean Walker should play 82 games this coming season. Um, if you have Walker and Dowdy and, I don't know, Ledoux, I suppose, um, or Roy, depending on who they bring back, you've got, a, you actually wind up with a glut of right-handed shots. So it's it's not... That concerning, the question now becomes, what do you do about that third pair D? And so the question is, do you bring in, you know, do you find a guy out there who will sign a one or two year deal, a bridge guy, or do you bring up a Kale Clegg or do you bring up a Daniel Brickley or Alex Lintuniemi or whoever, whoever it is that is, you know, top of the list, Um, you know, or do you think that there's value? Like I said, do you think there's value in keeping all of the high-end prospects in Ontario for at least one mm-hmm. year and letting them have one year to go at it. Now, I don't think that's what they'll do. That's what I would do, but that's just my sort of, you know, Xbox fantasy video game. <laughs> mentality, you know, like yeah. where, where I can say like, oh, it's just a regular, you know, it's one season. Who cares? It doesn't matter. But it, obviously that's not how the NHL works. And if And if anything should be seen from this hockey season and certainly this basketball season – Anything can happen in one season, right? Injuries can can knock a team down. The best team in the league can get swept in the first round. You never know. So yeah, or I, a I, team on January first that was in yeah. last place in the NHL <laughs> exactly. won the Stanley Cup. Right. Um, exactly. So just to quickly add on to what you're saying is, uh, you know, what Rob Blake and and his team have to do is make a decision on where he, you know, he's got to talk to his player development staff. He's got to talk to his scouts. He's got to talk to uh, you know, all of those players within the hockey operations that, you know, have certain jobs in terms of figuring out where players belong. And whether you look at uh, Clog or you look at, you know, Linton Yemi, in terms of, you know, are they ready to play 12 minutes a game, 82, you know, 82 times a year in an NHL season without being embarrassed or without losing their confidence or, or being able to produce you know, given their type of, you know, gameplay uh, at an NHL level. If they're not, then maybe you do go out and sign a veteran who can maybe teach them or maybe, you know, explain how the game works. Uh, maybe it's their job to 
you know, be that vet that helps the the younger generation work their way into the NHL. Or maybe it's uh, someone who can take the pressure off of, of, of Dowdy on the offensive side or on the defensive side so that he can, you know, play his game on a certain level in terms of focusing on one or the other on certain nights. So uh, it's a lot of, you know, moving pieces in a, in a very complicated situation because at the end of the day, uh, you know, one wrong decision can send a team south and one right decision can shoot them way up the uh, the standings. Yeah, and speaking of one right decision that can send a team right up the standings, you mentioned the St. Louis Blues in last place uh, in January and then wind up uh, Stanley Cup champions. I don't think it's as simple as saying that Jordan Bennington was the only reason that they turned their season around, but it certainly helped. Um, what do you make of the St. Louis Blues as Stanley Cup champions? Um, you know, that's an interesting thing to ask because, uh, personally, I'm not a fan of what the Blues do as a team. I, I want to congratulate them, uh, on their Stanley Cup. You know, it's the greatest achievement in the NHL and by all means, uh, it's well deserved. They did what they needed to do to win. But, uh, in terms of St. Louis winning it, uh, I don't think it's great for the NHL, to be honest. And by that, I mean, they play a game style that, uh, promotes the wrong type of hockey and, um, you know, the certain types of hits, the certain types of physicality, the, the style of play. Um, you know, the NHL is about promoting skill. It's about playing hockey that you want to see, and it's about uh, it's about winning. And unfortunately, the only thing that they did that I just mentioned was win. Um, dumping the puck in, playing physical hockey, you know, injuring and beating up every team to win. Uh, it's a little different, you know, than what we saw with the Kings in 2012 and 14. Uh, the Kings were physical, but they had the skill to win. And that's exactly what St. Louis has done, but uh, in a different facet. And it's unfortunate because I think it promoted a little bit of the wrong way to play hockey. Um, but at the end of the day, they are the Stanley Cup champions, and that, that's something that they can't be taken away from. So um, I've got mixed feelings, as you probably can tell, but uh, it's an interesting one that hopefully uh, doesn't you know, shift the NHL back to that type of gameplay. When you say the wrong way to play hockey, are you talking about uh, exclusively from a quote-unquote what's good for the game slash fans perspective, or are you talking about what's good for the players and what's, what's you know, honorable or, or whatever you want to call it? It's a combination of both, Jesse. And I think when it comes to the gameplay, uh, the best thing that St. Louis was good at this year was being physical, which by all means you have to be physical in the NHL, but it also came down to getting the puck deep, cycling the puck and spending 85% of the zone time along the boards waiting for a mistake to happen. And by all means, you're supposed to capitalize when a team makes a mistake. That's what every team wants to do. That's what makes a team good. But, uh, I think in terms of moving towards playing the right way, you know, physicality is a great thing, but you can't go head hunting with six foot five defensemen on a four check or a back check where people just get pummeled into the boards. And we saw that multiple times in the playoffs and it happens every year in the playoffs, but it consistently happened with the blues where, you know, players are injured. Grizzly gets a concussion because a guy absolutely destroys his head. Johansson takes a hit to the head, you know, this and that. Now you can go back to last year where Tom Wilson had multiple hits to the head and, you know, but that's one player where the St. Louis blues are filled with half of their roster of guys that were just continually doing that. And that's where I think 
in terms of the NHL, the NHL is moving towards a faster game. And I think it completely contradicts when a team like St. Louis wins that Stanley Cup uh, playing the opposite. And, you know, to go back, uh, I'm kind of rambling here, but uh, what I do want to address is, you know, you've got teams that have different rosters and different styles across the NHL. Uh, teams that are strictly skilled, teams that are fast, teams that are physical and big, teams that are slower but play power hockey. Um, where the Kings, you know, to go relate this to the Kings, the Kings are in the middle. They're trying to work their way towards being faster, being more skilled-based, you know, playing the right style of hockey where we're not just grinding and pounding people into the boards and going after people's heads. St. Louis did the opposite and won the Stanley Cup. So it's a little bit of a weird situation. Um, but that's my take. So uh, you've got me sort of one foot in each argument on this because I think the question of physicality and um, brutality in some cases, right? Like, you know, Char's jaw was broken in two places. Yeah. I think that's a larger debate that I'm not necessarily, I don't know where I come down on that one, right? I've, you know, I've been watching, watching this game for 30 years and there's some nights where I see a fight and I roll my eyes and I go, geez, this, you know, this guy has kids and a family and right his you know, his parents could be in the stands watching him get, you know, his face broken. You know, every time Kyle Clifford gets in a fight, all I can think of is the videos of his kids and his puppy. And, and, I, just go like, <laughs> and I just go like, you know, for God's sakes, Clifford, don't get killed. It's not worth it. The fl- yeah. but, the, but then there are nights where I say, no, forget that. Like, we don't have. You know, we live in a world where we don't have problems, where we don't, we aren't on a daily basis. I don't have to go hunt a bear, you know, or, or, or light a fire <laughs> with my bare hands. And so we, yeah. we, you know, we have this world where the ability to rise to, to savagery, for lack of a better word, you know, is sort of, um, leaving us on a day to day basis. And so do you have, you know, is, is there value in society and having a class of people? you know, that you can visibly see like, okay, yes, there are still people in the world who are capable of, of doing these incredible things, whether it's, you know, whether it's dominating your opponent with your physicality or the flip side of it, whether you're like Zidane Ochara, where you go, oh my God, he's, he's taking hits and he's playing hockey and he's 42 years old and his jaw is broken in two places. Like that's, you know, there's, I think there's value in that inspiration. So I, I don't know where I come down on that one. But the other mm-hmm. half of your argument that that the league is moving to speed and 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 that it's you know promoting you know that you want to promote a specific style of play that one I definitely am not on board with and I would only point to the fact that this is the highest rated Stanley Cup final of all time um, mm-hmm. and to the notion that you know as you said the only thing the St Louis Blues did better than the, than everyone else was win. Um, and to me, just, and this is purely bred from my experience as a Kings fan over the last 10 years, I wasn't concerned with how exciting the team was to watch. I was, I was concerned with whether or not they were winning and, and when they were, and when they were winning, it was as exciting to me as any, right. As, as any tournament has it right. You, you could point to me, you could point to the world cup a few years ago when team North America would go out there and you'd say, Oh my God, look at these incredible video game moves they're pulling off and they're dangling the puck between their legs and shooting yep. it from behind their back. And I'd go like, yeah, that's great. 
But none of those guys wear Kings jerseys, and the tournament doesn't end with the Kings getting to hang a Stanley Cup banner. So for me, yep. I, I only do care about winning. And and it's crass, and it's not how I feel about things in the rest of my life. You know, like if I went, you know, if I went to work, and, and I found that, you know, somebody, I don't have a parking space, but if somebody was in my parking space, and somebody had eaten my lunch from the fridge, and somebody was sitting in my seat, at, you know, and, and they just shrugged, and they said, well, I got here first, and I, you know, and I won, so in your fate, right? I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, I would appeal to the, all these ideas of, like, fairness, and <laughs> fair play, and, and all these things. But when it comes to watching my team, I just want my team to win. And so, you know, when it comes to the Kings, yeah. I guess, I guess my, okay. Yeah. I'll let you, I'll let no, you no, that's, Kings, that's, I was just rambling. That's fine. You, go ahead. Um, I guess my counter argument was how boring was game seven? Uh, well, I mean, how much of that had to do with the fact that it was over at the end of the first period. It, but that's exactly my point is it's a two zero game and it's one thing that I paid extreme attention to during the second and third period. And St. Louis consistently, and here's the thing. And and before I get into this too far in depth Mm -hmm. is it's about winning the Stanley cup. I, I completely agree. You do everything that you're supposed to do to win the Stanley cup. That's, that's the most important part. And you, you know, you gotta be safe. You got a two goal lead. I get it. But how many times did St. Louis get across the red line, dump the puck in, and then send one four checker? And no matter which way you go, it was a two on four trying to get into the zone. And that's the hockey that, you know, there's many problems that go into it, in my opinion, on why that's the wrong way to play hockey. Because, you know, time after time, you know, the announcers, Doc Emmerich and, and Ed Olchuk, uh, or whoever was, you know, calling the game, um, we're like, all right, you can't play this way. Otherwise it's going to get dangerous. Cause if Boston would have scored a goal, then all of a sudden things change and they didn't, which is credit to, to Jordan Bennington and St. Louis for, for preventing that goal that would have made it a close game. But that's the type of hockey that has gotten to be, you know, what I perceive as just boring, bad hockey because the second and third period, we saw nothing. The game was over after the first period because St. Louis got a two-goal lead and just basically conceded trying to score a goal unless you know Boston did what they had to do in terms of throwing everything at Boston where all of a sudden you got a two-on-one going the other way because they had to take the chance. Now, they won. Congratulations. You know, <laughs> I, it's, it, you, but do you understand my frustration with Yeah, it? no, I do. My only – I mean – the only issue I have with what you're saying is that it's a it's an isolated incident, right? Like you're talking about one game in one season. And, uh, we can and, go back, to, Jesse. We can go back to half the games with a two goal lead that St. Louis had, and it's no, the I same know, thing but, that they did. But Tampa Bay was up three to nothing in the at their four or whatever it was three to nothing in the yeah, end of the first three period, nothing and and, yep. and Columbus came back. So so yes, in this yep. particular game, Boston was exhausted. Personally, and I have no way of knowing this. It's just dumb hot fan hot takes. Personally, I think Mar- <laughs> I think Marchand, you know, attempting to leave the ice because he was gassed and then giving up the goal. Right? I think that's the sort of thing that just that was it. Right? That was the game. And so, yeah, the yeah. last forty minutes were stupid. But you know, Game Six, Kings versus New Jersey. If I wasn't a Kings fan, that would have been possibly the most boring game I've ever sat through because New Jersey takes an early five minute penalty. The Kings score three goals on it. They're up three to nothing. They're up in the series three to two. They're on home ice. And yeah. that was that was it. Right? Like yeah. yeah, New Jersey didn't fold 
um completely but <laughs> the final score was six to one so you know like yeah. and and so if i was to try and pitch the rest of the world on hockey based on the final two periods of this game seven or of that game six or whatever yeah it would be a really poor argument and <laughs> it wouldn't go over well um but but i'm not gonna but i'm not gonna try and extrapolate from one incident over a whole thing now now to your point about how the blues played sure um but but that's where we start to bleed into the first argument which i'm not sure where i land on which is if that's the way they had to or if that's the way they felt they had to play to go from 31st to Stanley Cup champion. Um, if the quote-unquote right way to play is so uh, is so is so correct that it should be the model by which all the other franchises, you know, uh, build themselves. Yep. Then why was St. Louis able to literally? I mean, like. I don't think people are giving, yep. you know, people are making a big deal of it, but maybe not as big a deal as they should. If, if, if speed and skill and all that is the quote unquote right way to play, then why was St. Louis able to, to literally just turn around one, one day in the middle of the season and go, well, that's it. We're going to, we're just going to beat everybody yeah. and no, no one's going to stop us. Now you could point to Bennington. You could point to the coaching change. You could point to the fact that maybe in the first half of the season, they were, they appeared to be worse than they actually were. Mm-hmm. But when they got all those guys in the off season, people thought they'd be pretty good, and yeah. it, it turns out they were. So yeah, and, and here's the thing: in my opinion, Jesse. Now, the reason that things turned around, yeah, you can point to the the Bennington move, which had an extremely uh, positive impact on the roster and, and the results. Uh, and then obviously the firing of Mike Yo and the addition to Baruby. Now it it goes without saying that Baruby did a phenomenal job, and Baruby deserves uh, a lot of credit in what he has done to you know turn this team into a Stanley Cup champion team. But the biggest thing that I think that he deserves credit for is what he did with the roster he was given, and you know. We talk about how, you know, every team should, you know, or every team should play like the Washington Capitals, where, you know, watching them move the puck is like art. Well, that's not how St. Louis's roster is. They're a big <laughs> physical team. Every defenseman is over six foot three or six foot four, you know, 220 pounds or, or, you know, just to, you know, make that number up. But, you know, roughly speaking, their defensive core is huge. They're, you know, they've got probably four to five guys on offense that are legitimate offensive threats and everyone else is a role player or a physical, you know, specimen that is someone that's going to be, uh, you know, impactful in a different way opposed to scoring 20, 30, 40 goals. Um, but that's what, you know, St. Louis did is they used their roster, which was a bigger physical, you know, team to benefit what they had and turn their team into, someone that, you know, was a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, the addition of Bennington changed everything. And, you know, all of a sudden you've got a goalie that you have confidence in and you've got a roster that can just shut you down. That's exactly what they did to win the Stanley Cup. And it's exactly how they went from 31st to 1st. Now, you know, just because I don't like the way they play doesn't mean it's the wrong way to play or doesn't mean that it's, you know, how no team should play. Just in my opinion, I think it's, you know, 
it's not beneficial for the NHL and it's not something that's going to be, uh, I, I get blanking on the word, but it's not something that is going to benefit, you know, you know, growing the game at least, or so, at least, you know, keeping the players in a healthy mindset. Yeah. You know, well, that Char, Char, Char broke his jaw off of a puck that deflected off his stick and went into his mouth. Yeah. But Grizzly got a concussion off of a cheap hit. Johansson, you know, had you know San, some uh, I'm Sanford not Sanford um number seventy I'm blanking on his name he got suspended for a dirty hit like those are the things that need to be out of the yeah, game Sunquist. and those are the things that yeah Sunquist thank you um those are the things that St Louis consistently does that are going to keep this game from having the best players on the ice for 82 games a year and, and so that's why backstepping <laughs> whatever ten minutes ago that's why I asked you what you meant by right or wrong because because I think like I said, I'm not sure where I come down on the on the brutality argument, but I agree yep. that if you if your workforce, you know, is concussed, then we don't know what's you know happening with CTE and all of that stuff. But yes, there that yep. is a, that is a larger debate that needs to be had. Yeah, and it's I will a much larger debate than and, one podcast. And I and I will say uh, this though: the league does, and we certainly saw it in this in this playoffs. Um, and we saw it all through the the late '90s, and and we had a lockout sort of because of it. Um, the league does need to figure out where it stands on the argument. The fans don't, right? Will I'm gonna watch whatever the the this, you know if they if they take fighting out of the game and they take hitting out of the game, right? Like let's say they say you can't fight, and let's say you're not allowed to hit. Um, That's not hockey. But you know? but but I'll still watch. Is my point. So. So the the but the league does need to decide how it's going to enforce its own rules because we saw penalties that were called that weren't penalties, we saw non calls called that weren't calls and and I do feel like the league should make a priority not to appease the fans, which I which is a a weird thing to say and would be an would feel like an odd decision, but I think the league at some point needs to decide what the, this is not the phrase I want to use, but what the values of the game are. You know, we had a conversation with Mike Murphy a few years ago and we were talking about, you know, the competition committee and, and the, the front, you know, the, the league head offices and, and these people who are sort of hired or appointed or, or find their ways into roles as quote unquote guardians of the game. And my reaction was sort of like, well, how do you how do you deem somebody worthy of that? Because right now you have GM meetings and you have competition committee and and the rules are sort of cobbled together by some, you know, group of people, some of whom will be out of a job and never work in the industry again. Right. Like the GMs come together and, and recommend rule changes. But but the GM, there's there have been some legitimately terrible GMs. Right. Yeah. Like I would I would trust. Um, I would may not always agree with, but I'm sure that I would trust the reasoning behind whatever opinions Rob Blake had when it comes to, you know, what what should be valued in the game and what should be protected, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's played. He's been an executive. You know, now Mm -hmm. he's been a GM. But Mike Milbury. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't care what Mike Milbury thinks, but but he was a general manager for years and years and years and had an impact on these sorts of decisions. Yeah. And no, that's a great point you bring up. And, you know, you've got, you know, yearly meetings on rule changes and over the off season, they end up deciding on what's going to go into the 
to the game next year and so on and so forth. But uh, it's one of those things where they, they really do need to start identifying the priorities of what the game should be about. Now, I'm 100% on board with never getting rid of fighting. It's part of the game. It's part of how the grittiness of the game is dealt with. It's a part of how people are taken advantage and then people have to you know, deal with the repercussions of decisions they've made. Now, hitting, it should never leave the game, but they need to obviously prioritize the safety of it or at least the way we hit. And I'm not talking about you know, the obvious checking from behinds and this and that, but the way the game is called, you know, players can't be just getting hit in the head left and right off of four checks by the St. Louis Blues because they're six foot four and can run you through a wall. That's not hockey, in my opinion. Hockey is about, you know, putting pucks in the net, not beating up the other team so bad that three of you guys have a broken jaw and a concussion and you're, <laughs> you're playing with your eighth and ninth defenseman. Uh, because of it so you know it's something that needs to be addressed and they've got to make a decision like you said on where they want to prioritize you know certain parts of the game Uh, but I think that in the future you know people should be benefiting off of their skill not their ability to be six foot four 230 pounds and run you through a wall so here's the problem, another, I shouldn't say here, but here is another problem I have with the speed and skill argument. If you, yes. if you are six foot four yeah. and, and Braden Point comes into the zone and he's going as fast as he possibly can and for, yep. a, and for a moment he glances down or looks behind him to see, does he have a, you know, a, a, a trailer behind yeah. him that he can drop the puck to or whatever. You know, if he glances off to the side to get a, a you know, a glimpse of, of where the play is moving and you have an opportunity to crush him yep. and you do. <laughs> yeah. And he's going as fast as he can. And you're, and you're six foot four or taller and, you know, 50 pounds heavier than him. And your elbow connects with his jaw because he's a foot shorter than you are. And, mm-hmm. and he's b- bending down or he's going to make a move. Yes, I think that, you know, the onus of responsibility ought to be on you not to murder the guy. But the faster the game goes, the harder it is to control these these split second decisions. And correct. And look, I've only ever played bronze level (laughs) adult (laughs) adult beer league hockey, so I can't I can't really make a comment on it. But I know that I have hurt guys that I was not intending to hurt because because they weren't paying attention. And, and like I said, it's the lowest conceivable level of competitive hockey on the planet for people over the age of 21. And I had, you know, a little old lady come up to me after the game and scream at me for hurting her relative. And I just had to sheepishly say, like, I'm really sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to. Yeah. So just to kind of piggyback off of that, I am the first person to understand that right. accidents happen in hockey games and, you know, the game's fast. You know, you can't control everything that's going to happen. It just happens to be that way. Sometimes mistakes are happening. Sometimes freak accidents happen. But most importantly, the game needs to be called where, yes. you know, players are going to be penalized or put in trouble, suspended, so on and so forth. If they continuously put their bodies in positions to hurt people. Now, under I understand if someone's got their head down and they're crossing center ice and they've got the puck, run the guy over. 
but just don't run him over by putting your head or your <laughs> shoulder right. into his head first. You know, the the game needs to be taught the right way, and that's very important. But the game also needs to be called the right way so that, you know, people understand that I can't make contact with someone's head first. And I'm not saying, you know, this is all stemmed off of, you know, my opinion on the St. Louis Blues. I'm not saying that, you know, the St. Louis Blues were headhunting in every series they played and didn't deserve to move on in, you know, in, you know, every series that they were in. What I am saying is that, you know, we need to be careful moving forward in paying attention to how we play the game. Now, St. Louis happens to be a larger team than almost every team in the NHL. And just because of their pure size and their ability to be physical and be good at it and have a positive impact to their benefit in the game, you know, that's the size of their roster and that's the strength of their roster. And because of it, they have the they have the skill to capitalize when they're given opportunities, but they also have the ability to score goals when, you know, someone, you know, coughs the puck up because of their physical type of play. So no, by all means, you know, St. Louis was the best team in the NHL this year, oddly enough to say, even though I don't (laughs) think anyone predicted that. Um, But that's how hockey is. You know, the Kings won the playoffs as an eight seed. St. Louis was a three seed in their, you know, division. And it, you know, wasn't the best division by any means this year. So, you know, hockey is a weird game, but at the end of the day, it's just a matter of being smart about, you know, how the game is called and how we proceed you know, this game and where we should prioritize what's moving forward. But physicality should never be out of the game. You know, fighting should never be out of the game. And, you know, without it, I I would struggle to call it hockey. So the only thing that I wanted to talk about was the way the game is spoken about or covered or thought about. Because, okay. because this run coincided with a really fascinating NBA playoffs right, that saw Toronto win the the NBA title, yep. and you could argue that it's because Golden State had a ton of injuries. I don't think <laughs> you torn ACL. Yeah, I don't think uh, you could argue it. I think it's inarguable. <laughs> but but yeah, the point but the point is the 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 most common topic of conversation I have seen in consuming all of all of this basketball media, other than the Warriors being injured, was Kawhi Leonard and the importance of one guy. Yeah. And you know, prior to this Warriors run, that has always been the narrative in basketball is the importance of one guy, whether it's LeBron James or Michael Jordan or, you know, Kevin Durant or whoever it is. Um, you rarely see all these thought pieces about, you know, the, a guy like Van Fleet or Gasol or whoever it is that Toronto added to help them win. And yeah. a team like St. Louis um, and even a team like Boston – one of the things that I really like about hockey is that you it's not about one guy. It's never about one guy. And yet Correct. I was and yet I was listening to this conversation, I think it was on Hockey Central at noon, and they were talking about Gretzky and Messier. And one of them said, or maybe it was actually it might have been <laughs> well, I don't remember who it was, but uh, but it might have been um it might not have been a hockey show, it might have been a general sports show. But anyway, somebody said Gretzky would correctly be identified as the better hockey player than Messier, and yet Messier won a title in Edmonton without Gretzky, and then he won one in New York. And I thought to myself, well, then who's really identifying the better player? Because, yes, Gretzky scored more points than Messier. Gretzky scored more points than everybody by a, by an unbelievable margin. And so I'm by like a thousand. points. Yeah, no, like by an by an unbelievable margin. And so I would never stand here and propose to you that Wayne Gretzky does not belong 
in the conversations about the greatest hockey players of all time. But mm-hmm. um, would you rather have won the Stanley Cup six times and be the fourth highest scoring player of all time or won the Stanley Cup four times and be the f- highest scoring player of all time? Like, I personally, I'd rather be Messier. I would agree. Um, I'd rather have won the Stanley Cup six times. It's just a matter of, you know, in the NBA, as you've talked about with, you know, the best player, the game changer player, you know, Kawhi Leonard on a 48 minute game will play 40 minutes and have the ball in his hand every time they go up the court where in hockey, that's not how the game is played. Wayne Gretzky's going to have the puck 20% of the time he's on the ice and, and that's being generous and he's on the ice for half the game at best. So it's just a different way the game is played. But yeah, to go back to your question of who would you rather be, you know, you have the ultimate account. Now, I don't think anyone's ever going to disagree right now that Wayne Gretzky is the GOAT. He's the best player of all time in hockey. Um, and I'd gladly take on anyone who would disagree. With that said, you know, to have the greatest accomplishment of all time six times in one sport is something that goes without saying that uh, it's not that it's never going to be repeated because, you know, who knows with how the future goes, but it's something that is extremely, extremely rare. And to be someone that can say that I was on the best team and not only were you on the best team, but Messier was the best player on his team, most likely uh, two thirds of that time. Yeah, I messed so, up. I said he was the fourth highest scoring for, uh, player of all time. He's the third highest scoring. Oh, okay. So yeah, I mean, that makes it even better. (laughs) Uh, But it's just one of those things where if you're the best player on your team, the majority of the time that you win the Stanley Cup, and you've got the C on your chest uh, that he did multiple times, I believe, uh, it's one of those things where it might as well take it. And, you know, Wayne Gretzky is the best. He has the highest. His records are very unlikely to ever be broken, especially in terms of points and assists. Uh, so you know, we'll see where it goes, but I would rather have won the cup six times, uh, and be up there on the terms of most points than only have won it four times. Now, with that said, it's, you know, beggars can't be choosers, but, uh, you know, if we're, we're picking between slim margins. Yeah, no, it's true. Four, cup, four <laughs> Stanley true. Cups and six Stanley Cups yeah. in the first and third <laughs> no, highest ever. It'd be a nice points. problem to have. Uh, so yeah. real quick before we go, this is an absurd question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Uh, who's your favorite to win the cup next year? <laughs> favorite to win the cup. Now there's a lot to be figured out between uh, now. So and much then. to be figured out. <laughs> uh, free agency hasn't happened. We yep. just got to the buyout stage. My favorite to win the Stanley Cup, and I, you're going to hate me to say this. I'm going to say Vegas. Really? Yes, I think they've got uh, a team that. I honestly think they would have won the Stanley Cup if not for the major penalty um, that led them to being knocked out of the playoffs. But I'm going to say Vegas. They've got a young core that keeps growing, you know, uh, and they've still got a little bit to figure out with the Carlson free agency situation uh, in terms of forwards. But they've got guys in their prime and they've continually produced. Now, it would have been crazy to say that two years ago when they were coming into the league, but. Uh, you know, Mark Andre Fleury doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And if he can stay healthy, uh, they've got a young roster and they've got a lot of guys that are in their core. So I'm going to say Vegas yourself. Uh, well, I don't hate it, but I will say I, and, and the end, and I'm going to button hook back to the NBA conversation real quick. I do think you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened this year in the NBA, I'm be really curious to see what happens to Vegas because at the end of last season, 
I was terrified that Vegas was set up for a five, six, seven, eight year run of being really, really really good. But now I look at them and I wonder, have they overplayed their hand and has, and have they sort of, I don't want to say wasted because it's too early, but have they overspent their hand and have they moved out of the, the potential area for being like incredible Mm -hmm. into just being a Winnipeg or Nashville where you go like, okay, yeah, maybe they'll win it this year. Um, but we'll see. Um, and the reason I brought up the NBA thing was to say, you know, there's all these – one of the things I find fascinating about the NBA is that people seem almost more occupied with the future than the present. You know, it's like okay. the finals were going on and it was like, where's Kawhi going to go? Where's Durant going to go? Where's Clay Thompson going to go? Where's Kyrie Irving going to go? It's like, guys, yeah. the, NBA fi- <laughs> the NBA Yeah, the finals NBA finals is in game five. It's right happening. Yeah. And you can, see, <laughs> you can see this dynastic run come to an end and you're more concerned about who yeah. goes where next yeah. year. And then is next year's the finals. Is this game in a golden state? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it always fascinates me where it's like, oh, okay, well, who cares? The game's on. Um, so to me, mm-hmm. that's sort of the Vegas thing where it's like, were they looking so yeah. – far ahead that they actually blew their today um, well before before you get to your answer yeah. my my response to that is you know as a team you you assume that the 85 percent of their core is going to be back at least next year they all just went through something that they believe they got ripped off on and something that they had taken away from them in their mindset yeah I think they're going to get off to an extremely hot start next year, essentially proving everyone wrong uh, in, you know, games one through 20 or whatever that, you know, they're forced to be reckoned with because they had their Stanley Cup opportunity taken away from them last year. Well, I mean, we'll find out. It'll be really interesting. Yeah, uh, it's a two minute tournament, so yeah. everyone can uh, save this podcast and come back to it in, <laughs> in mid October and mid November. That's a really nice thing about podcasts as compared to tweets. It's super easy. They to never just, leave. Yeah, <laughs> just to do a quick tweet search, you can go like somebody just pointed out that the mayor said that FNAF would never get bought out, and you're like, oh, ah, laughing. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> no one's going to go back and listen to an hour long podcast from a year ago. But um, yeah. I'm going to say Colorado. And okay, okay, yeah. The reason I'll Let say me guess it, the seventeen million dollars in caps that has a lot to do with it. <laughs> I think it's actually uh, thirty-seven. Oh <laughs> my goodness! So a lot of it has to do with the fact that they just have some incredible players, right? Young, not ph- yep. phenomenally talented players. They just added Makar, who looked right. I mean, obviously it was a small sample size, but he looked super yep. good. Yep. Um, I think they can make trades also to acquire. Um, better mm-hmm. pieces, and I just feel like they've been around for a couple of years. They sort of remind me of what happened with St. Louis, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and L.A. Okay, where about ten years ago, where they had been around for four years, where people were sort of looking at them. They'd miss the playoffs. They'd make the playoffs. They'd do okay. Um, and then one year, all of a sudden, for all of them, it was just like, oh yeah, this is the year. Like this is it. Yeah, it just clicks. Yeah. No, that's an interesting thing. I think that's a great um. That's a great pick. Um, but, hey, you heard it here first. I think Kale McCarr is going to win a Norris. Uh, do I think it's going to happen next year? No. Obviously not. <laughs> no, uh, But he's going to be a great part of their success in the next five years. And you've got McKinnon, who's locked down. Rantanen, who I believe is still on a rookie contract, um, who's going to need to be paid soon. And you still got Landis Cog. You've got Barry, who I believe is a free agent, but will easily be signed. Um, 
for a lot of money. Uh, and then, but you still got money. I mean, I believe it is a, yeah, Varlamov's a free agent. There's no yep. way he's going to come back. Nope. Um, and so they've got a lot of stuff to deal with. I agree that they've got a young, young core. And by young, I mean under 25. Yeah. Uh, that that is going nowhere and is only going to get better. So that's a great pick. It'll be interesting to see where those two picks go. But what I think is interesting between you and I is we both picked a team in the West, and I think we can unanimously agree that the East is getting better than the West is right now. Yeah, well, I'd be I'd be super curious to see uh, if if the Islanders continue to be as good as they have been. Um, yep. You know, there's rumors that Pittsburgh is going to trade uh, Kessel and or Jack Johnson. I yep. think I, I really hate um, <laughs> I do it all the time, but I really hate taking shots at Jack Johnson. But <laughs> I, but I do think the trading Jack Johnson will improve them exponentially. Um, yep. but, but I'd be curious to see how they go. Obviously, you want to see if Tampa can rebound. You want to find out if Columbus brings back any of their guys. Yeah, I mean, it'll it's going to be a really yeah. fascinating offseason. Yeah, sure Washington. Yeah, know, there's a lot going on here. So it'll be interesting. I mean, we'll be in touch and on the podcast talking about everything as it goes down this summer. But, um, you know, I'm excited. I mean, it, you know, we're on to the next year and, um, you know, as great as the NHL is, I think we all knew golden state was going to be in the finals this year. Yeah. Uh, I would love to know who predicted St. Louis to be in the finals this year, especially in January. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but that's but, a great part about it. It's yeah. a great part of the NHL and, you know, not one player can, send you to a Stanley Cup like uh, Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry can. So, yep. um, no, I, I'm excited. It's uh, it's the unpredictability of, of the NHL, and that's what makes the NHL so great. Well, thank you for joining me, Jack. Like you said, we'll be in touch, and we'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.